everyone. Welcome to the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I am your host, Cannabis Sativa. If you're currently a medical marijuana patient and would like to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at IamCannabisSativa at gmail.com. Feel free to hit me up on Instagram at IamCannabisSativa. Feel free to check out our official Twitter account at ICSativaPodcast. You can also find and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Anchor FM, Stitcher, and the Google Play Music Store. Please rate and review us on iTunes as rating and reviewing us can bump up the pod in their algorithm and put this podcast in front of even more eyeballs. If you like what we are doing, please become a supporter of this podcast and support us. We plan on doing big things with this humble little project, such as going to trade shows, visiting other MMJ or recreational states, and doing on-field work. And by supporting us, this helps us to keep the lights on, pay for rent, pay for hosting, equipment, and travel. And you can do this by going to www.anchor.fm slash I am Cannabis Sativa Podcast slash support. Again, that is www.anchor.fm slash I am Cannabis Sativa Podcast slash support. And you can also check out our newly minted um, page on Patreon. We're now on Patreon now. Um, and you can check us out as at www.patreon.com slash IC Sativa Podcast. You can support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. And we also have a $5 tier if you're feeling extra generous. Any little bit helps, and we would really appreciate your support if you have the funds to do so. Morning, y'all. Hope you guys are having a very good and fruitful Saturday. It's um, 12.13 p.m. in Legal, Massachusetts, the heartland of America. Um, I have a very big episode that I'm going to drop on you guys. Um, I want I want to give an intro before before um, before putting forth the interview that I did with um, Doctor Wayback. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about him and um, sort of set up the interview and then we'll we'll get to the uh, nearly hour long interview that we had. Um, Unfortunately, um, when I was recording, when I was using clean feed, I, I, I forgot to record the first five minutes. So I'm going to sum that up before I, I include the interview, but, um, but yeah, um, let me just describe a little bit about him. So you guys are acquainted with him. So, um, Dr. Wayback is, um, the main doctor of, um, Dr. Jane, who that's a uh, medical practice in, in the sunshine state. And um, let me let me just let me just read his bio so you know a bit about him and his background. So about Doctor Wayback, Luis Enrique R. Luiger Wayback, M.D., is president and founder of Doctor Jane, South Florida's most professional and discreet concierge medical cannabis practice. As a United States Navy veteran and neurosurgery trained physician. Dr. Wayback has made it his mission to bring education and evidence-based personalized therapy into his patient's home. So he does he does home calls, as you'll see in the interview, which is, is invaluable. You know, it's probably even better than telemedicine because when you when your doctor can go directly to you and you can ask him questions, it's it's very, very helpful. You know, like, I mean, I, I took I took a grad course last year and um, I took a master's uh, uh, MBA course and I really loved it. And um, there was like an online offering of it. But I just I don't know. I just couldn't pull the trigger on that. I, I need to be able to actually see my professor and ask questions or if there's material I'm struggling with. I need to be able to pop into the office hours and be like, hey, I'm. I don't get this concept. Could you explain it better? And I mean, I know you have like high speed internet these days and you have like, you know, 4k cameras, 4k web cameras and, and whatnot, but it's just, it's just not the same in terms of, you know, physically being able to talk to your doctor and ask questions. So again, let me, let me continue reading his bio. He's, he has made it his mission to bring education and evidence-based personalized therapy into his patient's home. 
as a member of the brigade of midshipmen of the U.S. Naval Academy, Dr. Waybeck played Division 1A men's hockey as a highly recruited defenseman. He has, he has played a total of 22 years of highly competitive, high-level competitive ice hockey. Dr. Waybeck is passionate about ensuring that his first responders and veterans have access to the benefits of medical cannabis that they can use to manage their psychological and physical conditions that disproportionately affect them. Given his extensive personal and professional experience with traumatic brain injury, he decided to concentrate on injury prevention and recovery. When his wife became ill, necessitating a change in career from near surgery, Dr. Waybeck transitioned to wellness and preventative medicine. That was when he decided that this visioning therapy should be more easily accessible to wider range of patients. Maintaining the core values of evidence-based treatment and respect for his patients, he founded Dr. Jane with the mission of providing highly quality, quality individualized, and safe medical cannabis therapy to patients that need it the most. Dr. Waybeck has co-authored a number of peer-reviewed medical articles, including The Aging Brain, The Significance of the Default Mode Network, DMN, in neurological and neuro neuropsychiatric neuro, neuro disorders, a review in the Yale Journal of Biology and Medicine, caffeine as a treatment for Alzheimer's, a review in the Journal of Caffeine Research, the positive correlation between migraine and vertigo, a review in the Egyptian Journal of oh man I'm gonna butcher this because I'm not very smart, uh, otolarthology. Dr. Waybeck holds a dual bachelor's science degrees in chemistry and biology and a post-baccalaureate in medical sciences from the University of Pennsylvania. He obtained his MD from Eastern Virginia Medical School in 2014 and received his residency training in medical in Medical University of South Carolina and is a member of, co of Congress of Neuro Neurological Surgeons, American Association of Neurological Surgeons, and North American Spine Society, and the Florida Medical Association. Additionally, he's an athlete administrator for Athletes for Care and a nonprofit organization started for professional Olympic and collegiate level athletes with a focus and advocacy on traumatic brain injury and cannabis use as a medical therapy. Dr. Waybeck currently resides in Palm Beach County, Florida with his wife Katie Loinger Waybeck, BS and RN and their daughter. About Dr. Jane. Dr. Jane is a South Florida South Florida's discreet professional convenient concierge medical cannabis practice. Dr. Luis Enrique R. Luiger Wayback and his wife, Katie Luiger Wayback, BSRN, founded Dr. Jane on the core tenets of bringing personal, convenient, professional, and discreet patient care to the medical cannabis treatment process. Dr. Jane provides South Florida patients with, and their caregivers with a safe space where they can exercise their right to medical cannabis therapy in an environment of their choosing, free from stigma and complications. Visit our website or visit their website to find out more or to schedule your own medical cannabis consultation at www.drjane.net. Again, that is www.drjane.net. And um, so, so the first couple of minutes that sort of got cut off were about sort of his background. Um, he talked about how he sort of grew up in the, he he grew up in a like sort of military family, and he grew up in a family with with some doctor and medical backgrounds. So he got to like, so like before like the HIPAA laws were tightening tightened in like the coming decades, he got to like actually see surgeries like because of his because of his family's sort of background in medicine. So you got to see surgeries and, you know, spinal surgery really, really appealed to him. And, um, you know, his medical journey sort of began from there. And then I sort of made a joke about how, um, it's, you know, it, it was kind of like Seinfeld where, um, people 
where it was like that episode where Kramer and 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 um Jerry went to like a watch a surgery or whatever. I think that episode was like the first or second season. I'm a Seinfeld head. I think it was like the first or second season or, or third at most of the show. So this was like the very early '90s or whatever. And I mean, and and you were able like average Joes were able to just go to, to watch a surgery and to sort of learn for from from it from an educational standpoint. You know, obviously we don't want people dropping junior maintenance and patience like um, Seinfeld, but there was a time that you were able to do that. And that's what uh, that's part amongst many amongst many things amongst um, Dr. Wayback's drive and ambition, obviously. But but that was sort of a gateway into him sort of getting into medicine and, uh, you know, and I'm um, sorry, I um, I forgot to I, I forgot to put to click record in the first six minutes. But that's what we talked about in the first few minutes. You know, we sort of talked about weather, the weather in Florida. It's it's like 97 degrees when we, when he, when he talked about it, it was like 97 degrees and very sunny. And, you know, we've just been having, we've, we've been going in and out of like rain and, and, and cloudiness and some 70 degree days here and there in Massachusetts. So yeah, those, those are the first few minutes. So um, I'm going to enclose the interview. It's about an hour long. I recommend you listen to all of it. You're going you're gonna to really learn a lot. I learned a whole lot. And it's, it's my most important episode yet. So enjoy, everyone. Peace. Oh, that's a that's a very that's a very um it's a very good story um in in terms of how you sort of interwove sort of your military background you know and then you got to see um how um how spinal surgery works and then you got fascinated with that and then that just morphed into you know like through your athletics and all of that through um towards working in the medicine. Um, so with that, would you be able to like describe like sort of your practice at Dr. Jane, sort of like your, like your philosophy to sort of like your patients and how Dr. Jane, um, defers from, you know, other practices that let's say just hand the patient their certification and then send them on their way. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you, you already really hit it on the head. Uh, I think the worst problem with regards to the medical cannabis um, industry both on the medical side and also on the commercial side is the fact that patients are not actually being treated like patients uh, they're, they're really just being treated like ATMs this is our generation's new pill mill you know it's a card mill <laughs> um, I mean that really that's what it is and, and unfortunately in Florida um, we have people that are getting arrested left and right. I, you, you actually, um, uh, you know, had a picture of, uh, of one of those physicians that are unfortunately taking advantage of stuff like that. So what, what we really try to do is bring both discretion and continuity uh, to cannabis medicine. So what... The, the whole basic premise of my practice is I don't have a physical location intentionally. So I go see patients wherever they are, wherever they feel mo most comfortable. Um, and I see them nights, weekends, holidays. I don't really take days off. Uh, but the so with that, like, I'm, I'm sorry ahead. to interrupt, but um, mm -hmm. would that like include like, let's say someone is like, like an elderly person, it's like housebound or whatever, and then they can't Absolutely. afford. Yeah. No, and, th and that's really the whole thing. That's, that's, and so I, actually the way that this was born, um, I have a lot of friends who have you know, combat-related PTSD. And if you know anybody that has true blue PTSD, doesn't matter what the cause, um, they have a really hard time doing the simplest tasks. And so a lot of my friends, they are homebound. And it's not because, you know, they have physical injuries that prevent them. It's because opening the door and hearing a car backfire, you know, triggers nightmares. And they start getting these flashbacks. And they, some of them have developed real agoraphobia. They, like, they cannot be near crowds. And so that's really how this was born. I, I wanted to make it so that 
those guys could have access to medical care. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing was when I went to go get my business license from the uh, town that I live in, they had no idea how to zone me because they had no record of any physicians that exclusively does house calls. So they, they had to like look up how to actually zone me for a business license. Um, but it's resonated incredibly well with folks. Um, we're not really out to make money. Um, you know, exactly like you said, there are, there are a lot of folks that I take care of that, um, because cannabis is not covered by insurance, you know, it's, it's a financial hardship for them. And, you know, the, the medical care, uh, aspect of it shouldn't really contribute to that. So I'm, I'm always willing to work something out with patients, uh, you know, just to try to get them the help that they need. And like, sort of like a counter question to that. Um, like when I was first like getting, like I'm a medical marijuana patient in, in, in Massachusetts and, um, in like the years when I was deliberating getting one, I thought I wouldn't qualify, so I was like very sort of intimidated by the process. But then I just like I, I got sick of using like my roommate's sort of street dealers, and then I just I, yeah. I did a little bit of my research, and then just got the card. Like, what would be like the best way to sort of balance being like these doctors being sort of like a pill mill versus sort of making it accessible to people that would actually benefit and feel that you know, they might not meet one of the 10 conditions or whatever. Yeah. So by far the biggest thing is lack of education, both on the medical provider side and also on the public and the patient side. So exactly like you thought, you know, like, well, what if I don't qualify? Uh, well, so number one, th this is a conversation that I've had with a few of my, um, my uh, medical professional friends who are in the industry, unfortunately, because of the legal constraints, we do have to use words and, you know, frames of reference like qualify, but realistically, it shouldn't be a patient should never have to qualify for anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but unfortunately, because we have to work within the constraints uh, or the confines of the law, we do have to use that terminology and do have to think and work that way. Um, that's where it really comes to education on the provider side. If the person who is, you know, trying to provide this sort of medical service, um, really doesn't do anything more than memorize a script with four or five buzzwords. <laughs> and, and unfortunately that's really what happens like 90% of the time. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're really, everybody's going to lose. So one interesting statistic that I like to point out to folks is as of 2017, the uh, American Association of Medical Colleges, the AAMC, they're the ones who uh, basically oversee all allopathic MD uh, schools in both the US and Canada. Their curriculum committee had recorded only 9% of schools mentioned anything about cannabis. Uh, in their entire curriculum. And what we're talking about is not anything extensive. It's like maybe a 15 or 20 minute discussion on it. That's it. Okay. So th this is something that, you know, f folks like me, I'm not only educating patients, but I'm also educating physicians, nurses, um, physical therapists, chiropractors. Uh, I'm trying to educate everybody that'll listen. Um, because really education is going to be by far the most beneficial thing and have the most lasting impact on everyone. I see. Um, and sort of follow up with that, like, how do we like educate, like, how do we as like patients educate our, um, primary care doctors? Um, I know like when I, like my primary care doctor, like, I mean, I live in an adult use state, so he's sort of resigned to the fact that he can't like 
prepared to just say no sort of stuff. But he, but he's very skeptical of my use of it. He's like, oh, um, you should, maybe you should use the CBD that doesn't get you high. But the CB, CBD, like, it's, it's very useful for treating my arthritis. But for my insomnia, it doesn't do anything. Like, how do we educate our doctors a little bit on the endocannabinoid system in a way that isn't too, you know, I guess, pushier and posing? Well, so you actually, um, actually hit one of the, things on you know think nails on the head is the fact that um, CBD in clinical studies is actually stimulating uh, not sedating and so that's where unfortunately this disconnect between you know traditional medical knowledge and the and the you know intra prohibition period and then the like that term. Of, <laughs> I mean, there, there's really no other way to describe it. It's you know people who have had their medical education during cannabis prohibition, which includes me. Uh, and then there's folks that are getting their cannabis education in this pseudo post prohibition era. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of the times it is patients like you that are having to you know explain these things to physicians and you know just like everybody else a physician is human they have an ego and a lot of times they don't like being told something that they feel like they probably should know by a patient you know they're, they're like well what the hell do you know i'm the doctor here you know so a lot of what needs to change and what hopefully comes with education is that kind of attitude adjustment where no my patients have just as much to teach me as i have to teach my patients and so that's at least in my eyes one of the really cool things about cannabis medicine is that it's very collaborative and it, it really gets to the heart of taking care of the person not just symptoms not just disease processes Yeah, like, I, I totally agree with that. Like, what I like about, like, cannabis as a medicine, like, 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 I, I still go to my, pr like, prim my primary care doctor to, to, to treat, you know, my arthritis and other things I got. And the problem is, like, when I go to the primary care doctor, they have maybe f 15 minutes to spend with me. And then um, I have to pay, like, an X amount for copay whenever I'm prescribed mm -hmm. something. And then when I go to a dispensary, if I if I find that Girl Scout cookies didn't work for my insomnia, the very next day I, I can go to that very same dispensary, get another indica or strain, and it's no harm, no foul. I don't have to pay a twenty six or thirty dollar copay to that dispensary. And I can also ask yeah, like Yeah, and I can also ask like other patients in like the waiting room for like advice too. And it, I it's it's like no other like medical thing that I've I've, I've undertaken. No, and there's there's a lot of advances that are you know coming down the pipeline where uh, so so there's there, there's these um, uh, amino assays that are called uh, well it's called pharmacogenomics or pharmacogenetics. It's essentially where we look at your. Uh, genetic sequence identify which mutations you have and uh, you can identify which drugs uh, are you know good for you in terms of their therapeutic effect um, which ones should be taken with caution because they might build up in your system faster than you know Joe Schmo on the street um, or where you have drugs that you metabolize way too quickly in which case you'll actually need a huge amount of those. So uh, the, these are assays that are routinely used in psychiatry uh, and also in cardiology. Uh, but we, as a medical and research community, are developing ways of actually applying um, cannabis and hemp uh, information and genetics to those assays so that we can figure out why does, you know, this particular uh, chemovar or cultivar work in this way for this patient 
versus it completely knocks out you know his neighbor versus it couch locks somebody else so so that you know pe- people will have to take a lot of the guessing out of it I really hope that stuff like that sort of advances so we can sort of homogenize cannabis because it feels like a lot of times like I mean I don't I don't think it's especially amongst like you know our sort of group that or our sort of world of, of cannabis where people are patients and where people are in the know but you have people that have that haven't used maybe since college or whatever and they're like 40 50 years old and they're like they have a medical condition and then they try it and then they're like oh I got too paranoid or whatever and then they just go back to toxic pharmaceuticals and it's really imperative we get something so you know, people trying to get back into it um, aren't aren't intimidated, or they don't have one bad edible experience. Go to the hospital and like, oh, I'm gonna go back to the alcohol and the the pharmaceuticals. No, I I wholeheartedly agree, and and please for the listeners, um, I nor anyone else should be advocating that you completely replace, you know, all of your all of your prescribed medications with cannabis or CBD. Um, but that may be in the cards for some people. Um, some people may never be able to get off certain drugs. Uh, but just depending on really how your biochemistry works, that might be in the cards for some people where you actually can get off of these things. And honestly, for some people, cannabis is never going to work. It it may only ever have recreational properties for some people. Uh, But the nice thing is, exactly like you said, the margin for error in dosing uh, with cannabis is so, so wide. It is so incredibly safe that, you know, why not give it a shot? Definitely. Um, so, um, I, I, I know that, so like we just talked about, I know that you're, um, you're a veteran and, um, and I really appreciate what the veterans do for us in this, in this country. And I don't feel that we do enough for, um, veterans. Um, I've heard, um, I've, I've, I've read some stuff in, about like, like in like the Florida legislative session that they were going to try to do something to, to, to waive the application fee for veterans and um i've also heard that like in some dispensaries like they'll have discounts but i and another thing that i also like know about like sort of california system is that they used to have something called like a compassionate care system so like if you were like low income if you were a veteran if you're if you're disabled like dispensaries would give you maybe free pre-rolls or free products to sort of get you by or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that there's anything in the works in Florida and, and other states to sort of get that rolling? And would you support such a thing? So, number one, I would hugely support it, uh, just in general, uh, because we have a lot of the same. I, I, the it's it, it's essentially it's a it's a welfare net that you have a. You know, a lot of your uh, grocery stores, like we have Publix here, where you can get a lot of your generic medications um, either flat out free or you can get, you know, an entire month's worth of your generic high blood pressure medication for three bucks. So we already have a lot of those things in place for non-cannabis applications. But I, I certainly think that that should be... Um, at least looked at pretty heavily, um, especially in states like Florida, where the cannabis industry is so huge, and you really wouldn't, at least I would think that you wouldn't see a huge drop off in revenue, you know, from the business side. Um, I know that there are a number of states, I believe it's either New Mexico, no, no, I think it's uh, Arizona, uh, where they actually do have something like that in place uh, where if you know you earn below a certain amount of income or if um, you are on food stamps or if you are um, actively getting welfare or anything like that they have different 
uh, tiers for how much the actual state fee, you know, is being charged all the way up to like 50% off to completely free. So I, I don't know for sure if that is in the works yet in Florida, um, but I think it would be a fantastic thing uh, for for the legislature to actually approve or at least think about. Totally agree. Um, so, okay, so let's say that, like, I'm a, like, I, I, I've done quite a bit of research on sort of Florida's program, and, um, like, I know that you have to, like, there's, like, you have to declare, I think, three routes of administration, and, um, like, let's say that, like, I'm, I'm a patient or whatever, and I have insomnia, and I, you know, I use flour for that, and, um, and I, and I, I vape and sometimes use tinctures or whatever, but then I see a cream at a dispensary that would help my or my my my, t- my foot arthritis and my knee arthritis pain. But because that isn't in my like route of administration, I'm I'm SOL or whatever. Like, what would you like? Like, what overall products would you recommend that people get to sort of get the most sort of bang for their buck and sort of treat everything within the routes of administration? Well, so, so number one in the state of Florida, there's no cap on the on the, the number of routes that a patient can be um, can be ordered. So for all of my patients, I always have a minimum of three routes. Um, realistically, when you're talking about the medical use and administration of cannabis, um, it's not at all one size fits all. Um, what I generally try to explain to my patients is the vast majority of control is going to come by way of uh, oral application, so meaning anything that you swallow, and, and a sublingual tincture, something that you put under your tongue. Typically, it's uh, you know like a tincture, an oil, something that absorbs into the capillary bed there. Now, absolutely, whenever somebody has a pain-related issue, I always, always, always uh, have them on a topical uh, route of administration. And we, we can go into it a little bit later, but there are certain receptors in the skin that you want to take advantage of that both um, THC, but actually even to a bigger extent, CBD, uh, actually activates and does really well for. Um, The thing that I try to explain to all patients is that the uh, inhalation route, whether it's a vape, whether it's smoking the actual flower, um, it should not be the thing that you rely on solely. Um, I, I try to get people to think of it like an asthmatic would think of and use their fast-acting rescue inhaler. So, yeah, I know that all too well. I, when allergy season acts up, I have two inhalers that I use, so that's perfect. Exactly. But you, you also know, I'm sure, that if you're hitting that inhaler every two hours, something is wrong. And that means that something else is missing because you really shouldn't be hitting that thing every two hours. Um, it's the same thing with anxiety medication and somebody taking something like an Ativan or a Xanax. You know, those are abortive short-term medications. They're not meant to be taken long-term. And it's the same thing with the inhaled route. So it's really for when, like, let's say again, the uh, pain patient um, when their pain is completely out of control, the topical, oral, and sublingual routes aren't working. Um, they're doing everything like they have been instructed to. And you know what? I just need a really quick hit. I need something to take the edge off and help me get everything back under control. That is the really appropriate way to use it. Or, like, say, somebody with insomnia, for you. You know, you don't want to be waiting around for two hours for an oral capsule to kick in. Like, no, I, I need to go to bed, and I can't be 
up until five and then wake up at seven. Definitely. But it's 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 definitely not a like I said before. It's a very collaborative process. So you're not going to you know completely change habits of a guy who's been smoking for sixty years overnight. Um, but it is my job to try to help them start looking at things a different way. And if at the end of the day, he doesn't want to do anything but smoke, you know, I, I've done my best and I've done my due diligence. Um, and I will still order the other routes. But, you know, the patient's a big boy, big girl, and ultimately they're, they're going to do whatever they want. That's the sometimes really frustrating truth about medicine you know you, you can't you can't tell a diabetic not to eat sugar and you know that at home they got you know 30 boxes of little debbies <laughs> you know if they're if they're gonna do it they're gonna do it they have to want to they have to want to sort of make the change exactly um so like how do you like like when i go to dispensaries or at least in my neck of the woods like like I've tried to give like the non-smokable routes like a shot and like they they like tinctures can help me and like I have a source where I can I have a source I have a caregiver that could sell it to me for a reasonable price whenever I can afford it but when I go to these dispensaries like a 1 ounce tincture is like $50 and like if if I go through that in a week like times that by 4 it's like 200 like how could we get these dispensaries to sort of make these healthier options more 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 tenable for people so number one um a lot of it yeah so you you are very correct with how expensive a lot of these products can be and how the costs add up um i i don't really have a good solution from the dispensary side but from the medical side, what I can tell you is that that's where CBD really, really, really comes into play. So essentially what happens is you start combining CBD, and it's not just CBD, it's actually all of the cannabinoids, but we generally call it just CBD. Uh, but you start combining you know, full-spectrum CBD with the THC, really cool thing happens is number one they synergize meaning the thc the pain relieving portion now becomes a lot more effective and number two there really is a lot of truth to this entourage effect um, both from a quantitative standpoint and a qualitative uh, standpoint and long story short what ends up happening is you start using CBD on a regular basis with the THC. It actually cuts down on the amount of THC that you actually need to take. In the end, saving patients money. Hmm. Something I might have to look into. Like, uh, like I occasionally, like I have like a CBD store like a couple blocks from my house that I sometimes drive to, and um, they were sort of echoing what you were saying that um if you're taking CBD on a like regular basis that it's in addition to THC, it's very, very helpful. But I think what I'll try to do is maybe once a week or so, maybe try to get like a CBD edible or whatever CBD gummy when, if, if there's extra money in the budget and, you know, try to have that accumulate in my system and hopefully, hopefully I'll see sort of even more improved results than I'm getting now. No, definitely. The, the thing that I do want to, you know, both caution you and everybody else that's listening about is the fact that CBD is currently not regulated by the FDA. And unlike THC, which does have to be regulated, at least at the state level, um, CBD is not. So it is extraordinarily easy to either pick up stuff that's just really bad quality or unfortunately just complete fake. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually one of the medical researchers on a, uh, on a class action lawsuit. And one of the things that we did as part of this, and this is 
really shouldn't shock anybody because it's been done so many times now is you go around and start buying one or two samples of you know these cbd that are you know at health fairs and places like this and we actually send them to a third-party lab and well you start getting stuff like yeah that 200 dollar of a 200 dollar uh, you know bottle of cbd is actually just canola oil <laughs> oh my god i would I would be yeah. so angry if that happened. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, this is the this is the same type of scamming that happens with you know these robocalls at Target, especially the elderly. It's you know a lot of people because it's so new have no frame of reference. They don't know you know what's a good brand, what's a bad brand. Um, you probably shouldn't buy from a guy that has handwritten labels you know? <laughs> um, or a gas but, station well you know like the, the the gas station thing hopefully you would think it is is pretty obvious but if you're if you're you know see somebody that's set up in front of whole foods and they're going hey you know this is 50 bucks it's it's i'm clearly you know, okay, because I'm in this area, Whole Foods is always in an affluent area, I guarantee you're going to get a lot of people that are going to be taken for a ride. Oh, man. So you, you just got to be really, really, really careful. Um, really do your homework. And it, it's when in doubt, you, you got to ask questions. Um, if you have questions, I wouldn't ask that company because they have... You know, they, they have no impetus to tell you anything but, you know, the company line. Um, but, you know, a demand to see a certificate of authenticity. Um, there's plenty of guides online uh, to see how to actually read these COAs. Uh, when in doubt, just honestly shoot me an email. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do my best to try to help you out. Will do. I appreciate that. Um, so there's like, so, um, so there's like another like thing that I'm, another trend that I'm seeing in like medical and adult use states, um, where, um, like I know in California, for example, like when they legalized adult use about a couple of years ago, they made it so, um, like the, like they're edible, like with edibles or whatever, they capped edibles at a hundred milligrams tops. So even for medical patients, and I know that you played hockey in the past. So, and I've, I've, I've listened to, um, some, I've listened to like an athletes for care sort of, uh, lecture. I think Eugene Monroe was saying that he takes like 200 milligrams before he, he, he does his workouts or whatever. And we're, we're seeing these lawmakers sort of trying to play doctor and be like, oh, we have to cap it at 100 milligrams because, you know, because, you know, we say so. And it's not really based on yeah. actual science that, that people like you know. Like, what? how do we counter that? Or how do we or do we bring doctors to sort of testify in, in the state houses to not make these laws or like? Well, and unfortunately... I mean, in an ideal world, yes, you would have a bevy of, you know, researchers and physicians that, you know, had a whole lobbying team behind them and could go to every single state house and say, no, this is what actually needs to happen. And then you would have lawmakers that weren't influenced by re-election and, you know, could say, yes, I wholeheartedly agree and I listen to reason. But what actually happens is, um, take Florida, for example. You have the uh, um, Jose Oliva, who is, I believe, the House Speaker, or he might be the Senate Speaker. I think he uh, owns, like, but... a tobacco company, too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so guess who was the most ardent opponent of uh, lifting the smoking ban? The guy that owns and has business interests with tobacco. <laughs> Can't make yeah, this exactly. Off. Um, and then you have other folks, you know, these these alarmist authors like Alex Berenson, 
who Jose Oliva actually brought to the Florida State House oh uh, to, you know, deliver his usual, you know, propaganda. I just, even thinking about him just makes my blood boil. <laughs> Same. But I mean, you know, it, it just goes to show you that sensationalism still very much sells in this country. And even when you have somebody like Alex Berenson, who all of these researchers have, you know, you know the, the NASM researchers, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, um, have come out and publicly stated uh, in, uh, that, that, you know, he's completely bastardizing our, our findings from our consensus statement. And you still get people that say... No, well, that's not the fact I believe in. You know, this this is the the fact I believe in. It's like, well, no, opinion isn't a fact. Fact is fact. You're you're getting things a little bit mixed up here. <laughs> and I mean, I I would love to say that science and reason and fact wins out but unfortunately humans are emotional panicky animals um, <laughs> especially when you get you know more than three of us in a room together and unfortunately we're just gonna have to keep fighting the good fight all right um so i have i guess i have only i guess i have like two more questions for you um one of them is like um could you sort of like in a nutshell explain um like the the all i don't want to say all the the uh professional sports sort of drug policy but you know just cover cover some brief ground as as i i know nfl's policy is the strictest and the nhl is the most lenient but just sort of give like the listeners like a, a rundown as to how drug policy works whether in call college sports or the nfl or that yeah, sort sure. of thing so most, if not all, uh, professional, and I am lumping collegiate sports in the professional realm because even though the athletes aren't making money, everybody else is. Um, almost all of the uh, sports leagues at least take a cue from the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, or the USADA, which is the US Anti-Doping Agency. And um, so I'm, I'm actually a part of Athletes for Care. Um, I'm, I'm uh, an athlete ambassador, and I don't know if you know, but we uh, actually just released a letter uh, to WADA and the USADA uh, petitioning for the removal of cannabis from banned substance list. Um, because last year, WADA actually removed uh, CBD uh, from its banned substance list, and they also increased the threshold uh, for cannabinoids in the blood and urine. Excuse me. Uh, but <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, but in terms of the individual leagues, so the NFL has a in. In the letter of their bylaws, it's the most strict, uh, but in actuality, um, it's actually no stricter than anywhere else. So essentially what happens is um, every single player is going to get drug tested at least once. They get notified well ahead of time. And um, so essentially what will happen is most players that are on cannabis you know, for pain-related issues, uh, will essentially stop using cannabis for about a month, a month and a half uh, before their drug test. They pass their drug test, and then they resume using, uh, unfortunately not under the direction or guidance of a physician, um, but they'll use it for the rest of the season. Um, actually, Chris Long, actually, uh, who just retired, he came out um, with a big expose piece about how he played his entire NFL career um, using cannabis uh, to help with all of his pain-related issues and how he avoided, you know, the drug detection tests. It's not very hard at all, which 
as an aside, it really makes you think, how the hell did Josh, uh, what, what's his face? Josh um, Gordon. Josh Gordon get popped so many times. <laughs> <laughs> or Ricky but, Williams, too. Well, Ricky Williams went on record saying that he got high and forgot that he wasn't supposed to get high. Yeah, so that didn't help his situation. No. Uh, but then you have uh, leagues like the NHL, where they actually take a much more progressive uh, stance on this. So, essentially, all players are randomly drug tested for drugs of abuse. Or rather, that's specifically what they're looking for. Um, so they're looking for PEDs, like steroids, uh, human growth hormone, uh, specifically. They're also looking for, um, you know, drug, the, the two most abused, uh, quote-unquote, recreational drugs are cocaine and THC in, in the NHL. So what will happen is if somebody pops positive for something other than, like, a performance-enhancing drug, um, they will uh, have their te- their specific specimens uh, then become de-anonymized. And uh, their samples go to two specific substance abuse physicians that are employed by the league. And uh, that player then gets called up uh, confidentially by one of those two physicians and says, Hey, man... Um, you know, we saw that you tested positive for X, Y, Z. And what's going on? Is there something that we need to know about? Like, were you just partying or is something going on? And they, they really try to figure out, you know, is this person in a lot of pain? Are they really depressed? Um, were they just being stupid and forgot that, you know, they were having their, you know, that, that they're actually on the road and about to play a game tomorrow? Um, so the players then offered the opportunity to come into the league substance abuse, um, program voluntarily. Um, uh, the, the important thing to note about all of this is that the team and the league are completely kept out of this. So this is between the physician and the player. <clears throat> I like that. So, yeah, no, it, it, and the, the whole point of this is. If the player says, you know what, I just screwed up. It was, you know, party night. It's a, you know, I'm a rookie. I've never been to that city. I've never been, you know, I've never had a bank account before. Won't happen again. Um, They can say, okay, fine. No harm, no foul. But, you know, you're on our radar. Now, if the person decides to come into the substance abuse program, those two physicians now have the authority given to them by the commissioner's office to levy um, sanctions, fines, uh, penalties if the person then violates the parameters of their uh, substance abuse program. To, you know, that, and that's in an effort to keep them as sober as possible. Um but I, I think that's there are still some kinks that need to be worked out with that but I think overall I think that's the better model um, actually uh, Riley Cote who's one of the um, I've seen him in founders. the um, panel like I, I went to there was like a cannabis conference two years ago I think it was the CWCBE or something like that and uh-huh. I, I saw him at it. Like, it was him. I think Eben, um, what's what's his name? He played for, like, the Jaguars or whatever. He was an yep. NFL player. And yep. there was, like, another guy, I think, played who played for the Red Wings or whatever that was on that panel. Yeah, Darren McCarty. Yeah, yep. Perfect. So, um, so Riley, he's, he's a friend of mine. He's uh, one of the original founders of um, Athletes for Care, A4C. So he and I are going to be talking at a uh, charity weekend in, um, in Naples, uh, Naples, Florida, not Italy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but basically it's, it's uh, in front of a lot of, you know, NHL folks, NFL folks, um, 
and actually TSN is going to be filming a documentary there, but we're essentially going to be talking to all these people all really about all of these things. Um, he's going to be talking from, you know, a player perspective. I'm going to be talking from a medical perspective. Um, but I, I think that'll be um, really interesting once that documentary comes out. And um, I guess my final sort of question would be um, like um, if so, like I've, I've been hearing about the NL, the NFL P Players League Association looking to allow research into cannabis use. Um, so, like if 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 let's say we're in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two, and they're still in the research phase, and you know the the players are, are continue to take these horrible drugs, and you know the eventually get fed up and and want further action by the league and 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 i'm not just talking about like the nfl but like the other sports league like is there going to do you anticipate these athletes sort of having some sort of social media campaign or, or a strike or a walkout or anything like that a strike or a walkout very unlikely um especially with the nfl you got to realize uh the average playing career for an NFL, uh, for an NFL athlete is, you know, three to six years. And that's really the whole time that they have to make money for some of these guys for the rest of their lives. Um, so the really nice thing that, especially in the NFL that they really have is the fact that they, the players are unionized. And so they, that's really the whole the whole power that they have behind the NFLPA and the collective bargaining agreement. Um, I mean, in, in all honesty, everything is pointing to, um, to the NFL removing uh, CBD and cannabis from their banned substances list in exchange for a few concessions, uh, which are already, they have been on the table for quite some time, so I think that they're just getting ready to finalize it ahead of the 2021 CBA. Uh, but I, I think from from a PR standpoint, I think the NFL would look incredibly stupid uh, to not allow something like this, especially in light of the fact that they have been completely ignoring um, you know, all of their older athletes, um, all the athletes that have gone on to develop CTE. Um, it, it would just be a horrible look for them. I, I, don't, I don't foresee them holding out on this subject for very long. It's, it's good that we're going to sort of see progress in that. Um, it's like, because I remember, like, I'm only, I'm only 30, but, like... It, like, I remembered, like, just, like, talking about, you know, cannabis reform, like, at, like, the ending of high school, and talking about how, you know, like, this was before I even really used, but I was talking to my teacher about how, like, um, I forgot what politician, I think it was, like, Rand Paul, Ron Paul or whatever, I was like, oh, well, I like that he's talking about this, and I like that he's mentioning that we shouldn't be wasting money on, 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 on busting people for cannabis use, and, like, my teacher thought I was just... I was just saying that because I wanted everyone to get high or whatever. And it's just crazy how the dialogue has moved across the board. And, you know, instead of this being looked at as a, a joker for people to get high and go to fish concerts, like you're having entire, you know, athlete associations seriously looking into this. You're having politicians realizing that, you know, they're not going to get reelected if they spout 80s, just say no sort of stuff. And, um, I guess my final thing is, um, um, is I want to leave you like the last word. Um, so, um, anything else that people should know about you, your practice, your advocacy, that sort of stuff? Uh, yes. Uh, what well, I, I want to add one more thing to what you were just saying, um, because there, there is an incredibly powerful and disturbing quote that most people don't know about and I, I feel it's at least my responsibility to try to get people to understand um, where all of this 
prohibition and propaganda in this country comes from. And this really plays into, you know, what you were saying about how, no, it, it you know, that, that, that's why you like some of these politicians because really, you know, in, in your mind, and I agree, you know, they're, they're trying to speak the truth. So do you know who John Ehrlichman was? Uh, no, I do not. Okay, so John Ehrlichman uh, was Richard Nixon's oh, okay. foreign domestic I think, policy. I think I know where you're going with this. Um, yeah, but you can let, let, continue. So for, for those listeners who don't know who he was, John Ehrlichman was uh, Richard Nixon's um, former domestic policy chief. And before he died in 1994, he did go on record uh, and really verified what a lot of people had suspected for a long time. Uh, the quote that I'm talking about refers to the war on drugs and um, really it's uh, especially racist background. And uh, just here, I, I have it pulled up. I'm just going to read it. So, so quote, you understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. If that doesn't tell you <laughs> everything that you need to know about drug policy in this country, I really don't know what else to tell you. Wholeheartedly agree. I just, I feel that that still drives like our, like even like on like a state level. Like I, I keep track of like all the states and what they're doing. Like, 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 let's say Wisconsin, for example, they just elected a governor that's pro-medical and he and would even sign a, a adult use bill. But their legislature is controlled by Republicans and they're giving these dumb reasons for not supporting it. But the but their underlying reason is this exact quote you're saying, but they're too cowardly to admit that, you know, yeah, I mean, in, in all honesty, um, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. Me too. And. I love Joe Biden, but I will tell you what, there is, you, you would be hard pressed to find either a Republican or a Democrat who has been more anti-drug throughout his career than Joe Biden. Yeah. Okay. And I'm telling you this as a guy who loves Joe Biden, but again, it, it's, it, I think it goes a lot of the times beyond party line. This is just something that we have been indoctrinated into and it's seen as part of the moral fabric of this country. I mean, you, you take, um, yeah, here, uh, I, I can, I can com go completely off the rails on this, but <laughs> one last thing. So, um, Santa Claus before, uh, prohibition, uh, especially in the UK, uh, he would actually, people would leave uh, beer and liquor out for him. And in the United States, after prohibition, that then was changed to milk and cookies. <laughs> okay. um, you win the Indy 500, you douse yourself with a bottle of milk. <laughs> All right. I mean, it's 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 built into the fabric of what this country has absorbed over the last 70 years and i i think unfortunately um it's going to take more than a few election cycles to to change that i, I think we're on the right path but it's going to take longer than really any of us would love definitely so um, I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to have this discussion with me, Dr. Rick. And I learned so much, and I know my listeners are 
gonna learn a cornucopia of things when I release this. Hey, I, I, really I really appreciate you having having me on the show. Um, quick plug, uh, just so um, if anybody has questions, um, wants to learn more about any of my ramblings, um, you know, go to our website. It's drjane.net. It's D-O-C-T-O-R-J-A-N-E. So like Mary Jane, dot net. Uh, we do blog posts. Uh, we do a lot of patient and public education. Um, and going back to the whole buying CBD can be dangerous. Uh, I've gone ahead and taken a lot of the guest work out of it and um, done a lot of the vetting and research for you. We have um, CBD that I have vetted myself uh, on the store there. So thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. So that concludes the episode and the um, the discussion I had with Dr. Waybeck. I really appreciate his, um, his, his time and him taking the time to do this interview with us. Um, I'm going to drop a companion episode today. Um, I don't know when it will come out. It'll probably come out soon after this one comes out. And it's going to be from the 2017 Boston CWCBE. Um, it was the Athletes for Care panel. It was about an hour long. There was several professional athletes that um, that talked about um, their advocacy for Athletes for Care and you know, I, I feel like it's a very good companion episode to this episode. So I'm I'm dropping a lot on you guys this 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 weekend, this this first weekend in June. I hope you have a very good first weekend of June. As always, stay medicated, my friends. Peace. <laughs>